Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Uh, The whole world is responding now to the sweeping coronavirus pandemic, and it was timely to convene a discussion with the largest utility operator in the United States, Exelon Utilities, which has in excess of 10 million customers in six states. We're here to talk about how they've used their smart grid investments um, to be best positioned to deal with this epic disruption in our lives and in our economy. We have with us today, Joe Fachula, who's Exelon Vice President of Strategic Planning. Hi, Joe. Hi, Murray. Good to talk to you again. And we have Eric Hilt, who's Exelon's Executive Vice President, uniquely situated to comment on what's going on on the ground. Uh, he's their Special Projects Incident Duty Officer for COVID-19. Hi, Eric. How are we doing? Good. You tell us how we're doing. I just read on the internet that you uh, had at least one illness in in your workforce at a nuclear plant with 23 nuclear reactors at 14 sites, Eric. How are you taking steps to make sure those plants remain available as needed? Yeah, we we, we ramped up just like the rest of the country uh, about three or four weeks ago. We actually had uh, started planning even before that around some of the materials that will be required for our workforce, both in the plants and out in the field and in some of our control rooms. Uh, About three weeks ago, we really started um, ramping up as the rest of the nation. Um, We started uh, implementing more social distancing. So a lot of our control rooms and control centers have backup facilities. So we started splitting our workforce so that they could uh, work um, with more distance between each other. Um, About three weeks ago, we went to um, remote work, uh, work at home for the uh, number of folks in our business that can work from home. So um, that also allows us to spread out those folks that have to come into the office or the control room to um, practice social distancing. So that was kind of the first step uh, we took a number of weeks ago and just continuing to plan going forward about uh, how this thing could further escalate. Do you have any sense how many of those 33,000 employees may be sick today? We get numbers on a daily basis. We've not seen a large number of, uh, of uh, instances yet. We're below 1% on a call-out rate. Normally, we're about that now. We do have a number of cases that are uh, up for testing. We have a number of positive, positives across our uh, employee body as well. And then we have a number of folks like other um, businesses as well that are self-quarantined because they may have been exposed um, but are at home just in case they are um, positive that they don't spread it. So um, the numbers are not high now, but we watch them on a daily basis and we're, we're looking for trends going forward to potentially um, step through our, um, our process here to potentially escalate re- responses that we might, might need to take. Joe, tell us, um, with your 10,000 customers who are many we trust are at home now self-isolating and many of your companies um, have shut off operations what's been happening to your demand has it stayed the same or do you see major changes in how people are using electricity 
Yeah, we've uh, we've definitely seen a reduction. We're still um, learning. And I think one way to think about it, uh, what's been uh, relayed to me, is uh, think about every day now as a weekend as far as uh, low. So uh, weekends might mean some industry is up, but right not at full production and obviously a lot more usage by uh, residential customers. So weekends is a good way to, a good proxy, I think, to think about this. You and I have talked extensively over the years over what Exelon and its utilities have been doing in terms of smart grid investment. Tell us how that has prepared you to deal with a moment such as this. Are you finding that you have capabilities that are really valuable and uh, are keyed to your operating smoothly in this situation? Yeah, absolutely. So let me let me uh, highlight on a few of the big ones everybody's aware of. So uh, let's start with smart meters. That was one of the kind of the first parts of smart grid, if you will. And uh, what what smart meters have done is taken essentially a, a big meter reading force off of the street. They've been redeployed as linemen and, and elsewhere through the company. But if you can imagine 10 million meters that need to be read once every month, you know our employees were literally touching every home every business service territory on a monthly basis. And uh, in addition to that, when you get into some of the denser urban areas, a lot of those buildings and the meters that they need to access are multi-unit buildings. So there may be multiple residents in there. And, you know, in these times, that's exactly the type of situation you want to avoid. Uh, our customers don't want strangers in their, um, in their properties either. So um, I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, opportunities right now. Additionally, those meters have added some, some capabilities, as you said, that the capabilities that we're, we're leveraging are to, to ping those meters so we can talk to them. And uh, years past, we had to send trucks out to investigate problems so we can, we can ping the meter to determine if there's an outage. We can check voltage on those meters. So essentially, we have the ability to remotely troubleshoot those meters. Uh, in times when people move, granted that has slowed down a little bit, but if people are moving into new residences and homes, again, we had to send... Uh, trucks out to connect people uh, that could take time. And uh, now we're able with the flip of a switch or remote switch to uh, connect those customers. I should add too, Marty, a little tangential to this is we, we typically, um, you know, when people don't pay, we have the ability to, to terminate service. We have suspended that in all of our utilities. So when people don't pay, um, we are no longer cutting. And uh, we've gone a step farther. People that were recently terminated for non-pay, we're inactive uh, process of reconnecting them. So uh, trying to get customers connected to keep them in their homes, uh, to keep them safe. The other um, the other big one is the reliability of the grid. So we've added a lot of self-healing switches. We call it distribution automation. And uh, all of our utilities are uh, performing uh, up near the, the top in the industry. Uh, I think ComEd had a recent year that they would argue was best in the industry. But you can imagine how important reliability is now. It's always important, but if you're in a home and you have a power outage, you're not able to go to a hotel. You're not able to take the kids to the park or the lakefront downtown. Um, you're basically in your home. So power is as critical as ever, and having very reliable service is just terribly important. It, um, it also allows our engineers to access the equipment and troubleshoot it remotely. So if we have issues with any of the BA switches or issues, the smart grid also brought along a lot of communication systems. So we're able to talk to the devices, troubleshoot those from engineers' homes, not having to, to roll trucks. So those are a couple of the examples, but uh, you know, the theme there is 
being able to do things remotely and not have people out in, in harm's way or in the public way uh, doing work. Um, that's not to say we're not doing a lot of critical work. Our crews are, are at work uh, every day. Uh, we're keeping them employed, but they're doing a little bit more critical work than the things I discussed here. Do you think if a virus like this would have hit 10 years ago before these smart uh, grid investments were made, you would be at an operational disadvantage compared to today? Yeah, it's um, obviously a hypothetical. I don't know if we would let our meter readers out. Right? We may be, we may have them uh, hunkered down, and we may be estimating meters, which would cause a lot of, I think, financial issues with our systems. We would um, obviously, if people called with with trouble, we would have to roll trucks and interact with customers, which is something we're trying to avoid. So, um, absolutely, it's it's been a uh, it's been a big help, and it would have been a completely different world a few years ago. Eric, tell us a little bit uh, what you're seeing at your nuclear plants. Are, are people self-isolating there? Are there people camped out at the plants? How, how are you rallying your workforces? No, we are continuing the, um, the work plans that we had at all of our nuclear plants. You know that um, you know, nuclear plants and power plants in general, spring and fall is their outage period so that they can be ready for uh, the load that's required across the, the grid in the uh, summer peak time. So we have looked at each of our outage windows and only cut them back to just the critical work that needs to be done, refueling and some ancillary work. But they are progressing. Uh, the ones that are in outage actually have raised their level of um, screening. Um, and uh, we do have sequestration in our plans for critical control room um, personnel, but we have not triggered any of those yet. We've, uh, we've not had any... Um, any illnesses in the uh, critical limited number of people um, categories yet. So we continue to um, provide safe and uh, clean electricity to the grid uh, across our nuclear fleet. Uh, a couple of them are in outage, as I mentioned, and the rest of them are um, are chugging along just fine. Yeah, Murray, if I could, if I could hop on Eric's comments, we um, we're uh, essentially a utility. So nuclear is a different operating company with an Exelon. So the stuff Eric and I hear are on, on calls. People um, talk about all their plans, but um, I think our proxy or closest uh, example is what Eric talked about with control rooms. But we we don't have direct um, involvement with the nuclear station. That's a different part of the company. Right. Let's take a minute, Joe, and talk about the granular intelligence you're getting through your smart meters and your smart grid in terms of what's actually happening with your 10 million customers that are, those that are home. Can you tell what kind of activities they're doing in the home? Uh, is there anything that that you th can bring to the public awareness in terms of the demand when it's peaking during the day? How much internet usage is going on? Um, interesting questions. I um, I would tell you uh, data is a sensitive issue, so we uh, we don't have the ability to um, look deeply into what's happening in a moment by moment notice with our, our um, um, time frame with our customers. We view the, the data as the customer's data. Should they choose to offer that to a third party, we make that uh, available to them. But we're not, um, we're not looking at uh, that, that level of granularity. We also don't, um, don't have any, um, any knowledge of uh, internet usage or traffic. That's obviously uh, what the uh, ISP type of providers uh, so load, I would tell you, it hasn't been heavy. We're at least in, uh, in our utilities and um, kind of the what we would call the shoulder months, where we're coming off of winter. 
Uh, we do have some electric heat, but we're coming off of winter. We're not quite in summer, so air conditioning isn't up and running. So I'm just not seeing heavy volumes of load. Joe, you and I have, have talked about your Bronzeville microgrid effort. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you're learning there that that makes microgrids even more appealing to you in, in Exelon's future? Yeah, so just a, a little bit. That's the, the ComEd utility in Bronzeville is just south of the Chicago Central Business District. And uh, ComEd is in the process of deploying about a seven megawatt microgrid there. We went through the first major milestone late last year, and that was to actually simulate an islanding of the, um, the electrical footprint of Bronzeville. And when I say simulate, we, uh, we basically did it in a way that no load flowed through the ties. We didn't actually physically open them, but we, we modeled it that way. And we did it with a lot of portable generators. That was to basically prove out the controls. And uh, the next step that'll complete by the end of this year is to add generation into the, into the Bronzeville footprint. There's been some pretty neat partnerships. Uh, the, the solar provider is going to put solar panels on the roof of public housing within that footprint. And uh, we'll have an uh, opportunity to lease that solar on an as-needed basis. And uh, in the meantime, on you know, everyday type of usage, the customers in the, um, the public housing there, the public dealable homes will benefit. We'll also be working with uh, third parties on some dispatchable generation. So that'll all be put in by the end of the year and, um, and fired up, and we'll have uh, you know the functioning microgrid that we want to learn from and to share the learnings. Um, one thing I would add to Marty, and I, I love telling the story, is as we've as we've worked Bronzeville and as we've gotten the community involved, they've they've given us different definitions, I would say, of or different yardsticks to use as how we might measure resiliency. We've talked to them about what this can do for their community. They've encouraged us to explore things like economics. How can you put people to work in our community? How can you help with crime? How can you bring the next generation along to understand these technologies? So we've expanded a little bit of what we've done in a way that some of the projects we've put in, we've employed people in the community. We've got some some street lights that that run off the grid, so to speak. There's a battery in them, wind and solar. We've moved those closer to places that potentially had crime areas. So we're trying to we're trying to partner with the community. And I think that's been, to me, one of the most interesting learnings is that they define things a lot differently differently uh, than we do. And we have, um, we've got a neat opportunity to partner with our communities to understand what their problems and need are, needs are and then innovate with them on solutions. Joe, I'd like to take a minute and uh, ask you, take you down a different road here uh, as Vice President of Strategic Planning. Excellent a big business with $34 billion in revenues, and our country is facing an unprecedented economic recession and downturn. Um, there's talk, there's been action in terms of federal stimulus money. And uh, you know, last time we went down this road after 2008, there was uh, major funds directed into the electric utility sector in, in terms of stimulating development. Do you see a potential for even greater smart grid deployments uh, as our country starts to gear up and come out of this recession? And uh, how will your business have to evolve to to deal with that and possibly face its own internal challenges as that $34 billion business has to deal with a new set of realities? Yeah, we'll see see how that plays out. 
the smart grid, I would say, Marty's a journey, and the grid is going to continue to evolve. It's not a destination where the grid's now smart, and then we end. We um, we view our utility uh, infrastructure evolving more towards a platform, and I know that can be an often uh, overused term. What I what I mean when we say we're a platform is we we let people connect, right? Then people can connect solar, people can connect storage, and we enable that. And we do it in a way that we can provide for all of the customer. So I think. I think that evolution to a platform is going to be really important. Now, whether there's stimulus funding, I, I think that remains to be seen. Uh, you know, you've, I've already seen some signals people don't want to support Green New Deals, and you know, we'll see how, how Washington battles that out. One area I think uh, which may be of interest as, as uh, potential stimulus dollars find their way out is uh, we have had areas that we're trying to help accelerate the advancement of broadband. So if you go to some areas in Washington, I've heard they're, they're underserved communities. And as, as schools have moved to e-learning, they're challenged uh, to get the kids to be able to even connect. And uh, we've got a lot of assets and infrastructure, people, telcos and others typically attached to our poles. Uh, is there a way to partner as, uh, as communication needs expand? Is there a way to potentially use some of our assets or share assets with other customers? So I think there may be opportunities that emerge at an intersection between some of the telco and the utility needs. Um, so I, I, it's a great question. We, we are very well aware of it. We sent requests to all of our utilities to start to, to brainstorm a little bit about where we might want to go with this, and we're going to monitor and see what happens in Washington. Let me just follow up with this question. As a utility that's shifting into operating as if you were on permanent weekend for the duration for, for how many weeks this crisis lasts, that's going to put a, a major strain on your business. Do you need to turn to anybody to figure out what kind of steps you might need to take to deal with this unprecedented change? I'm thinking of the federal labs that are out there have great analytical and modeling capabilities. Might they be able to help utilities deal with this? Yeah, I was actually going to pivot toward that towards Eric. He ran um, uh, in his last job the dispatch centers and operations at Pico, so he's probably much better to answer that question than I. So Eric, I'll put you on the spot with that one. No, no, I think, um, I think we, we have to learn a lot. Just in the last couple of weeks, we've had to make, make changes to our work plans um, just to keep the work going. A great example is a lot of our maintenance we would plan for during the day when a lot of people were out and about or at work. So we may have a planned outage to upgrade um, a particular piece of a circuit and plan an outage for you know, um, noon to 4 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon. And um, that would not be very impactful to, say, a residential community. They could plan around it. People are off at school, at work, and all that. Well, that outage in this time and age would be disruptive to a um, residential development that has everybody at home, homeschool going on, e-learning, remote work um, going on at the same time. So we've actually had to to shift the way that we actually perform the work that we do um, on a day-to-day basis. So there's been scheduling um, work. We've had less work that we, we, we dial back on some work that we would do where we go into customer premises like uh, energy audits and things that are um, very customer-facing. Um, we have been able to leverage a lot of our digital tools um, that allow customers to interact with us more and more um, over the Internet. And, uh, and through apps and not have to speak to uh, a company rep, whether it's in person or uh, a CSR in one of our call centers. So 
these tools that we've put in over the last, uh, say, 10 years are very helpful on a day-to-day basis. We have exercised them over the last number of years in storm situations. Um, and then this uh, pandemic, although it's new, it's um, allowing us to leverage some of the, the learnings we've already had, but also use some of the technology that Joe spoke about in different ways, too. So it's a learning opportunity for us, but um, it has positioned us well to continue to serve our customers during these times. So, Eric, where are you as we speak? I am in suburban Philadelphia um, and uh, have been here for, uh, for three weeks and uh, been in touch with all of our utilities on the distribution and transmission side to make sure that we're all planning for um, contingencies going forward, that we're learning from each other and sharing best practices. We had pandemic plans that we had exercised in uh, 2009 with the last pandemic round. Um, we did not get this far in, so a lot of them were written and kind of dusted off, and we actually went to a much greater level of detail over the last three weeks it is different. Uh, in a lot of those pandemics, we talked about sequestering employees, perhaps in some of our work locations. We've done that before during storms where people couldn't get out. But in a situation like this, there's a different lens that you have to look through. So a lot of our uh, control centers are near hotels that are actually closed down and wide open. So if we were going to sequester employees at one of our plants or one of our control centers, could we potentially actually just partner with the hotel to say, we will rent that hotel, move people there and shuffle them back and forth. Because again, you have to plan for the uh, unknown here. This sequestering type of mode could go on for months. So Eric, are you at home or in the office? I'm actually at home. I've been working at home on probably 12 to 14 hours a day of uh, conference calls, working with the folks that are in some of these control center, planning these contingencies uh, and just pulling together the um, cooperation across the utilities for learning and for communication outwards as to what our plans are. The folks you're interacting with, are they also at home for the most part? No, a good bit of them are actually in our control centers. Um, we are, you know, we're, we're not sequestering them right now. We have a limited number of folks who are going back and forth from home to work. We were able to do that because we are uh, doing social distancing when we get there. So if you think about it, all of, a lot of our back office employees are uh, at home. We have some of our IT folks that have reported out that of our 35,000 employees, we have about 18 to 19,000 of them that are connected remotely. So they're not in our, in our facilities working. So that allows the folks that do have to come in on a day-to-day basis more room to spread out and, and work uh, without being uh, in close proximity to each other which would uh, lower the possibility of anything happening and, uh, and spreading throughout the workforce. So um, we're planning that, but we do have a, probably about half of our workforce uh, across Exelon. That's the plant and the distribution folks and transmission folks that are out uh, working on our grid every day that are uh, either at our control rooms or actually out in the field or the plant, um, making sure that the, uh, the grid and gas, gas keeps flowing and electric keeps going to customers' homes. Joe, where are you, and how, what does your workday look like? I am uh, sitting in my kitchen, actually, in uh, the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, my day is interesting. I, uh, we're still trying, as you mentioned, I had strategy, and we're still trying to push the strategy work forward. And uh, in times like this, people obviously get a little bit tactically focused. But uh, when we get through this, and we will, strategy will be uh, every bit as important uh, as it was prior to this. So trying to uh, to continue to advance that. And then I'm also 
starting to shadow a little bit the, the role that Eric mentioned. He was you know, the duty officer. He just came off of that. Uh, somebody else is sitting in that, that seat now. I'm shadowing that role because I will take that on uh, in roughly a week or so. So we're trying to rotate that uh, duty officer role through the team and um, looking forward, I think, until <laughs> I heard what Eric went through, uh, looking forward to, to taking on some of that um, in, in the next uh, next week or so. So, Eric, real briefly, what does the duty officer do? I mean, you're monitoring the entire 11,000 miles of transmission, 10 million customers, and, and just watching for aberrations? No, each of the opcos has a control room, a control center, and an ERO that is watching it at the granular level. Um, as we pulled together the Exelon family of utilities, it's really six operating companies. And what we wanted to do is be coordinated on things, as Joe mentioned, like shutting off um, or no longer disconnecting customers um, if they aren't, aren't able to play. It would be kind of weird for a company as big as ours with six octaves to potentially announce that in one city and not announce it in the other cities. So it really is coordination between the utilities. What are you thinking of doing? What are you seeing? If you're seeing it there, potentially should we look at it at other opcos as well? Should they start planning for it? Maybe you're just first seeing it. The other ones will do it. They'll make them better prepared. Um, if there's a need you see from your customers, should we potentially do something across the fleet of utilities and implement it at one time in a very coordinated fashion. Uh, we saw some of that. That way we can kind of do it at a local level and then also a national level, things like um, connecting customers when different jurisdictions went to sequestration or shelter in place. As Joe mentioned, using the smart grid technology, the smart meter, we can actually turn on customers who were just turned off without visiting their location. Well, it would be nice as a company as ours to be good corporate stores and do that everywhere at the same time and not wait for people to ask. So it really is coordinating the response from all of our opcos, making sure um, the messaging is consistent, the actions are consistent, and that we're sharing best practices as we work through. These are unprecedented times. Uh, we're learning things along the way. And one of the advantages of being in a family of companies like Exelon is the ability to share learnings very quickly across. So that happens in real time um, as we have different uh, instances, as we've had some people test positives. What are the cleaning techniques? How do you go about doing that? Um, the other utilities are actually able to learn from each other without even actually having to experience the event. So it's um, it's a beneficial structure, and my role is just make sure those communication lines stay open. I need to ask a question about cybersecurity because uh, electricity is even more critical, if that's possible, now that, that people are, are so traumatized by this health crisis. Over the years, it's been reported that utilities are bombarded uh, by bad actors on a daily basis. Do you see any uptick in that or anything out of the ordinary in terms of cybersecurity or is all proceeding as normal? Yeah, as part of our uh, response, we um, Exelon has stood up their crisis management team, which actually is headed by Chris Crane, our CEO, and the senior executives from across the organization. A big part of that structure is our um, cybersecurity group. They report out on daily activities, the amount of bad actors out there, they stay in contact with some of the other national um, and government agencies to make sure that we're up to speed on that. You know, one of the kind of different stories here is with the number of people working remotely, there was a, a push for, from our employees to say, hey, do I not have to do things like reset my password as often as I used to? Could you relax those rules? 
we actually talked about it and said, no, cybersecurity and the vigilance required for it is even more important in this day and age. So we actually didn't do that. So we monitor that. They have noticed an uptick in just general phishing attempts and a lot of malware based on COVID-19 messaging and, and things like that. Well, that's part of our normal uh, daily protocol. It is part of our uh, response to the, the situation as well. And we continue to monitor it. So we have seen increased activity, um, but uh, continue to stay vigilant on that. Joe, I'll give you the last word. Did you ever think you'd be living through a situation like this as a utility professional? Um, boy, I don't think anybody's <laughs> think they could uh, anticipate what the, what we're all going through now. Um, Eric did mention some of the pandemic planning in the past, and uh, you know whether it was swine flu or bird flu, I forget which one. I, I do remember going through some pretty intense planning, and uh, each of us in utility operations was given a big box. And at the time, this is many, many years ago, in the box were things that we're looking for today, masks and gloves. There was, actually, I think, a drug called Tamiflu. We did all train on this many, many years ago, and I think that's been helpful today. But um, to your question, if I thought that would be reality, uh, absolutely not. And uh, I don't know that anybody could have anticipated what we're going through now. So, yeah. Well, good luck to both of you on keeping the lights on. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk and our special edition Smart Grid in the Age of Corona. Thanks to our guests, Joseph Fachula and Eric Helt of Exelon. You have been listening to Grid Talk. You can send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at N-R-E-L, that's for the National Renewable Energy Lab, gov. We encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. And for more information about the series or to subscribe, visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy, Office of Electricity, Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.